I know um, a few of you uh, every week like to uh, either look in the, in the bulletin or find out uh, what the, the scripture is for the sermon, for the message. And, and you read ahead, you kind of look at it ahead of the sermon time. Some of you even tell me on occasion, you try to guess uh, where I'm going to go in that morning. And I would love to be able to pick the brain of those of you who have done that this morning to see what your thoughts are in reading Second Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 10, as to what you think I'm going to do with this. Because these verses in Second Peter are very, um, very kind of dark, and they're really kind of challenging. They're difficult verses. In fact, um, I would generally never pre- pick those of my own um, decision to preach on, because it'd be very, very difficult to preach on, um, which is why I'm not preaching on them this morning. Um, <laughs> because it's the wrong scripture. And that's my fault. That's my fault. When I submitted the scripture uh, to the team and to our worship team, I wasn't paying attention. And I meant 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. So if you read ahead, you get bonus scripture reading today. And of course, I'm going to have to go back to 2 Peter chapter 2 and preach on it now that I've made it sound like it would be so hard. Um, it, it wouldn't be, but that's a kind of an odd break of verses. But that was on me. I, I pulled um, some of my study notes on Friday night. And I, and I actually looked at what I'd sent in, and I went to Second Peter and read it and went, that wasn't the one I picked. And I went, oh yeah, First Peter chapter 2, verses uh, 2 through 10. But that is what we're going to talk about this morning as we um, you know, seek to hear God's word spoken to us and proclaimed to us. So from First Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 2, this is what we hear, this is what is written This is God's word spoken to us this morning. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices, accepting to God through Jesus Christ, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, speak to us in these moments through the proclamation of your word, through the words that are spoken. May they come from you. And may we have hearts to hear and to believe. In Jesus we pray. Amen. A couple of of weeks ago, Bill Hancock, as you know Bill, who's our, our treasurer here, 
He, uh, he gave me, we had been talking a little bit about the history of, um, of the church. And he gave me a document that he had that I had not, I don't believe I had seen before. It's just um, two pages, but it's a, a brief history of this church, of Parish United Methodist Church, beginning well before it was Parish United Methodist Church. Uh, and, and I say a brief history because, as many of you know, but maybe not all of you, that um, this church is over 120 years old um, as, as a worshiping congregation. In fact, if you walk across the street to the historic chapel and you look up above the doors, you see established 1893. So two pages of text is a very brief history. It's an overview of, of the church. But I have found um, in this last year and recently as we're discerning God's vision for the future of the church and, and where God's leading us and the ministries and directions, um, more desire in my heart to connect with the past, to understand more about our story and more, uh, more about those who have come before us. And I'm not just talking about one generation ahead, though certainly there's some giants in, of, of faith and of leadership uh, in that group, but I'm talking about you know, the vision of the handful of people that first gathered as a church and established the ministry that we're a part of. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. In fact, about a, two weeks when, when I go and with Mike and Lena Cooper, who Mike Cooper, who's our lay delegate, when we go to annual conference in Lakeland, which we have every year, uh, they're at Florida Southern. They have history and archives of um, the United Methodist Church, and I'm very interested to see if they have anything about our church and the history and archives. And I'm going to go and kind of see what I what I can um, learn, what I can find, if if anything. But it's it's important to me. Because I think it's a gift. I, I actually, no, it is a gift. I mean, every church is different, and every church's story is different, and, and they all have value, whether the church is, you know, 120 years old or whether the church started six months ago. There's not better or worse. But I think it's incredibly um, neat, you know, that, that we are a church that has such history and that we have such a story that we're privileged to be a part of because very often the language that I use is the fact that, that we're building, we're continuing to move forward in ministry on the shoulders of those who have come before us. And we're part of, of their legacy. And that is absolutely true. And that is, is certainly to be honored. But, but then I, I read Peter's letter. I read God's word to the church through Peter. And I realize I have to be careful. We have to be careful of rightly understanding that in its context, what it means to build on those who have come before us, because that can, that can easily be misunderstood, what that means. There, is a, there was a story that came out last fall about um, the... The church, it's, a, it's an Anglican church, the Church of St. Peter and St. Paul in Bath, England. Now, this church, we talk about our history of 120 years. This church history goes back to the 7th century. It started as a monastery in England 
and with a worshiping monastery there in the location they're, they're in now, and many, many years later became an Anglican church as it is now. The structure itself that they're in was built in 1499, okay? Again, over 500 years. And so you want to talk about building on the shoulders of generations that have come before you. That would certainly be quite a powerful case of that. This is the problem the church has. Underneath the foundation of the church, very literally, it is built on those who came before it. And what I mean is, there were over 6,000 graves, people buried underneath the foundation of the church. Going back to a time when, when many people, that's, you were buried on the church grounds. If you could, you'd be buried underneath the church buildings. Many of you grew up in places up north where church, every church or most churches had their own cemeteries. You know, I grew up in Florida, and we don't see that very often because, you know, you get more than three feet down, and in a lot of places you're hitting water. So you don't see that, but when, when we lived in North Carolina, I can remember the first time vacationing up there as a kid going, wow, every church has a cemetery. Well, similar very often to some of the churches in Europe, and there are 6,000 graves underneath the foundation of this church. The problem is that as, and they stopped in about 1850 doing that, so these go back a long ways. But as the, um, the, the graves have kind of collapsed in a little bit, there's decomposition, deterioration of things, they've created these vacuums, these pockets underneath the foundation of the church, and the foundation of the church is in danger of absolutely collapsing in because it's not a good foundation. It's not the, uh, a sturdy, it's not a, a solid foundation. What they're having to do is excavate, uh, excavate the, the bodies, the remains, fill in the foundation, then respectfully reinter the bones and, and do blessings and prayers. But it reminded me as I'm reading the story, not that, you know, it's, it's an image, it's, a, it's a, a metaphor for us of the danger of when our foundation isn't the right foundation. When, it, when, it's, when it's unsteady and, and it's, it's not solid underneath us, we have the, 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 the risk in a, in a spiritual sense of collapsing in. And I think that's what Peter wants to say to the church. Understand who you are and understand the importance of having the right foundation. Because when your foundation is wrong, everything collapses. In fact, I, I want to tell you that I have never seen or studied a church that has imploded, that has died, that has fallen apart, whatever images or words we want to use, that has come apart at the seams in ministry, that had it happened because of those outside the church, because of the forces outside of the church or, or people in a secular world working against. When churches have fallen apart, every time I've ever studied it or experienced it, it always happens because of those who are inside the church, the people in the pews. And I think what happens is sometimes we lose our foundation. When we lose our true foundation, unhealthy spiritual things begin to happen. And we have to be careful because that can easily... I got warned when I was a young pastor. I'll never forget uh, a mentor of mine said, he said, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. And, and this is, you know, I'm coming into ministry and I'm very idealistic. You know, young pastors are rightfully so idealistic. And the church is all beautiful uh, because we haven't been in the day-to-day the, the -day grind of, of life together. And so I'm coming in with this idealistic view of ministry. And he said, I want to warn you, this is the... The first person in every new church you serve, the first person that comes to visit you, be wary of. 
they will be a problem. That doesn't sound incredibly jaded, doesn't it? Now you're all thinking, was I the first person that came and saw? Um, <laughs> but I'm telling you, it's been true. In every church I've seen that one of the first person is always inevitably somebody who proves to, to be a difficult person to minister to or has their own personal agenda. And we all do to a point. But the first person that came to visit me here was that kind of a story. Now, I'm not going to tell you who that is, but I will tell you they're not here anymore. And I don't say that with joy, but it's just, that's just the truth. So we know that, that our problems start inside usually. And I think it's when we don't understand who we are and the foundation we're built on. Now, let's, let's kind of dig into the Scripture a little bit. Peter says in the fifth chapter, speaking of us, he says you also, church, followers of Jesus, you are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. You are living stones. You are the basic material in which God uses to build his church, to fulfill his purpose in the world. That's what our call is, to be the material, the instruments of noble purpose, as described in other places in the Scripture, that God uses. Living stones. And stones is important. Plural matters here. It doesn't say you are a living stone. It says you are living stones. I mean, think about this from your own experiences as kids or even as adults. Um, the, whether you learn to play with blocks or Legos or Tinker Toys or Lincoln Logs or whatever they may have been in your childhood or with your kids or your grandkids. But I mean, think about it from a perspective of Legos. If I hand you two Legos and say, go to town, that's what you got. You, got, you put them together and you're done. You can't do anything with two Legos. But if I hand you a box, your imagination can run wild. You can create and you can build and you can make things happen, if you will. What Peter says to the church, to the followers of Jesus, he says, you're the living stones. You're the material that God puts together to to make things happen. And it's important for you to do that together. It's, it's not just you have a personal role in that. You make a personal response to that. You certainly are a living stone, but the value of that is, is in us together, which is why the Scriptures put so much emphasis on a community of faith, on, on a people that are called together. Paul would say to the church in Hebrews 10.25, he says, don't stop meeting together. Don't neglect that as some people are doing. Come together, encourage one another. And he talks about in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, the body of Christ and the diversity of the body. Jesus established a community right out of the gate. He called disciples to come and be a part of the journey. We need community. We need this thing called church. And it would be interesting if I could, you know, if I, if I took the time and put up a whiteboard and I said, okay, church, let's talk about church. Many of you who come very, very faithfully, who call this your church home, tell me why you come. And we started to share, and we started to just kind of throw out the reasons and the blessings 
of being the church, the best things about the church. And, and here's what I think. I know what some of my answers would be, and I think from the years I've spent in ministry, I have a pretty good idea of some of the things I would hear from you. I think I would hear things like, we come to church for the fellowship, the connection to other people. Some of you may say, I, I, I come to church for moral guidance. I come to church for, to be spiritually fed. I come to church for encouragement. Or I come to church to be recharged and refreshed. Those are the kind of things I bet we would say. So not all, may, there might be others, but I'm sure those would be some of the things that we'd talk about. And all of them are absolutely true. They're absolutely part of the gift of the church. It is a place that, that we can be fed. It is a place that we can be recharged. It is a place where we get moral and scriptural guidance. It is a place that we grow in our, in our spiritual walk with Christ. All really important things. The danger is, and I think what God wants us to understand through His Word, what Peter wanted the church to understand, that the danger is when that becomes not a part of the picture, but that becomes the complete picture. When that's what we understand the value of church, and understand when I say church, our gathering, when we understand that to be the exclusive value, because all of those things are somewhat self-serving. I come to be fed. I come to be blessed through fellowship. I come to grow spiritually. I come to be refreshed. And Peter says to the church, to us, you are living stones. You're what God builds his church with. But you're not what God builds his church on. You're the building blocks. You are not the foundation. And Peter makes it very clear. We've got to understand the foundation. And that's why I talk about even those of us who build ministry and those of us as a church and this church that builds ministry on the shoulders of those who have come before us. Their value is not because they're our foundation, but because they were built on the foundation, which is Christ. And so Peter says Jesus is the cornerstone. And that's an image that if you've grown up in church or you've been around church for any number of years, you've heard we've sang about Jesus is the cornerstone. And it's, it's a powerful image of Jesus. And what that essentially means is Jesus is the essential piece. The cornerstone was the foundation. The cornerstone was the first stone laid. It was the strongest. It was the biggest. And upon it, everything else depended. If the cornerstone wasn't strong, if the cornerstone wasn't right, the rest of the house falls. The cornerstone has to be the most important piece. And Peter says, you are living stones but you are built on the cornerstone of Jesus. Jesus is your foundation. He goes on to say, your holy nation, a royal priesthood, called out of darkness into God's marvelous light to proclaim His wonderful deeds. You're called to proclaim Jesus. And so the problem is, when we understand church as just being a place to recharge and fellowship, we don't get a whole picture. We've got to look to Jesus to get the whole picture. See, and Jesus, all the things I talked about, Jesus did. Jesus worshiped in the synagogue. We know that in the scriptures. Jesus withdrew into quiet places when he was trained and tired to recharge. We know that. Jesus fellowshiped with his closest friends, his disciples. All of those things. He, he, he turned to scriptures for his own guidance and wisdom. All those things we talked about are all the things Jesus did. But they're not all the things Jesus did. 
You get it? It's, it's, it's an incomplete picture. When Jesus did that, he did it with a purpose. When he withdrew to recharge, when he fellowshiped with his disciples, when he worshiped in the synagogue, it was so that he could then step out of those places and continue into the ministry for which he had been called. And that ministry was to be a blessing to others, to be the vehicle, the instrument in which others would come to experience the presence of God and his grace and his love. So after Jesus recharged, he went to places like a pool of Bethsaida where those who were infirmed and sick and crippled would gather and he went and he would heal. Or he showed at the home of a girl who had died and he resurrected her. Or he put mud in the eyes of a blind man so he could see again. Or he called a tax collector out of a tree. He stood in the defense of a woman who was caught in adultery. He proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. Everything Jesus did in withdrawing and in taking in was so that he could live out the gospel. And if we're called to be living stones that are built on the living stone, if we're called to be living stones that are built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, then we're called to reflect Jesus. We're called to look and to be and to act like Jesus. And when it all becomes about us, we've missed Jesus. Our foundation is on a very porous ground that is in the threat of caving in because we've lost the fact that God calls us as living stones to be the instrument in which others can come to know and experience His grace and his love. That's what Jesus' command is. And so we miss the whole picture and our foundation is off. Some of you have asked this morning, how was our time away, Tony and I away um, last week? If you were here on Sunday, I talked about it. It was our anniversary last week and Tony and I got away to Orlando, just the two of us. And John and Jenny stayed with Ryan and Cassie, and, and we had a great time. And if you're on Facebook, you saw some of the pictures, and we sent our kids a lot of pictures just to taunt them. Look, we're at Disney. You're not. Ha ha. Um, it's some of the fun we have with them. And uh, Sunday night, we'd gotten to our, uh, the place we were staying. We'd checked in. We'd unloaded some of our stuff. And uh, we went to Hollywood Studios at the Magic Kingdom, again, at Disney World, if you're familiar with it. And we were just kind of enjoying the fact that we could go where we wanted to go and ride what we wanted to ride. And so it was open till 10 o'clock, and we went, and we rode Tower of Terror, and we rode Rock and Roller Coaster, and we did all the fun rides that we like. On a side note, we didn't know. We walk in the park, and we're walking in, and I'm seeing all these people that are dressed like Star Wars characters. And I'm like, what is going on? It was Star Wars weekend. At Disney, I had no idea there was such a thing as Star Wars weekend, but all these people that were dressed up in full costume, full characters, it was different. <laughs> um, and so they had all this stuff, which I like Star Wars, but so that, that was kind of a backdrop to it. So we, so we had a good time, and it got to be, I guess, about 8.30, 9 o'clock, and we were tired. It had been a long day, so we, we decided to leave. And as we're leaving the park, you know, all the, all the Disney parks have kind of a, a main street area. And at Hollywood Studios, the, the pinnacle is the Fantasia, the Mickey Mouse Fantasia hat. And everybody are kind of pouring down into the center area because they were doing some Star Wars-themed show. And then they were going to shoot off fireworks. You know that Disney in the United States is second only to the U.S. military in the amount of explosives that are purchased annually? 
not making that up. They, that's how much, and if you've ever been to Disney, you know they're always shooting off fireworks. And they were getting ready to do a fireworks show, and just still hundreds of people that are there at the park. And so Tony and I are like, look, we've seen fireworks at Epcot. We've seen fireworks at Man. Let's get out of here before all of them do. So we, we left, and, and as we're taking the tram out to the cars, the fireworks start to go off. Now, I've seen fireworks at Epcot and Magic Kingdom, and they're great, but I've never seen a show like they do at Hollywood Studios. It was nonstop for 10 or 15 minutes. I mean, it was like taking, most of us know the finale of a fireworks show where everything goes off. Start with that and then just dial it up. And so by the time they got to the last finale, Tony and I were in the parking lot. And it is lighting the sky up. And it was beautiful. But what I remember so powerfully in that moment is that not only could we see it, but we could feel it. In fact, we joked because as the fireworks are going off, the car alarms start to trigger. You know? Because the vibration was set in car. It was rocking the cars. We could see the fireworks, but we could feel it. And I thought, what an image for the church. Like a firework packed tight together. That's what our fellowship, that's what our worship, that's what our coming together is. But when the catalyst ignites us. When the fuse is lit and that fuse is Jesus Christ, we are not meant to stay packed tight. We are meant to explode and to not just be seen, but to be felt so that through us, people will feel the presence of God. Through us, people will not only see the love of Jesus, they will feel it. We are the living stones which God has chosen to build his spiritual house on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. That's who you and I are. There's a story told, a legend, that the king of Sparta was showing another monarch his land. And he kept bragging about the wall of Sparta, the impenetrable wall of Sparta. And finally, the other king looked at him and said, you keep talking about the wall of Sparta, but I don't see any wall. Nowhere do I see a wall. And the, the king of Sparta looked at him and said, look all around you. You see the wall everywhere, for every man is a brick. Every man or woman is a brick. That's the church. We're all the bricks. In fact, people will pop in my office from time to time. Friends will come visit, and they'll say to me, Show us the church. Show us your church, which I always kind of cringe at because it's not my church, but show us your church. And I know what they mean, and I'll take them to the historic chapel. I'll show them the thrift cottage and annex. We'll walk over here, and I'll, I'll show them the worship center or the classrooms or the property, whatever it is. But you know, if I was really going to show them the church, if I was really going to be faithful, and they asked me that question, I'd say, okay, you want to see the church? Let's get in the car. Let's drive to the school. Up oh, there's some of our teachers. There's the church. You know what? Let's, let's drive over to Publix where some of our young people. Oh, there's the church. Oh, here, let me show you the Thrift Cottage Inn. No, no, not the building, not the merchandise. See those volunteers? They're, they're the church. Oh, we got some folks loading up pack-a-sack baskets to take to local elementary school for kids that are hungry. Oh, there, there's the church. That's what I'd show them has nothing to do with this. This is nice. This is where we pack tight. 
Doesn't do a lot of good if we don't explode out. Be the church. Let us be the church. The living stones that Christ has called to be built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We're not built on the foundation of those who've come before us. We are part of their legacy. We build on their shoulders, but their value is they were built on the foundation of Jesus. We're built on the foundation of Jesus. Be living stones. Pop. So that the world through us will see the love of Christ, but they will feel it. They will feel God's love because that's who Jesus is. And if Jesus is our cornerstone, that's who we're called to be. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, that we would be that, faithful, faithful to Christ and to the living stones that we're called to be, built on the foundation of Jesus, that through us others may know you. Not to our glory, but to yours, because of the power of Jesus at work in each of our lives. To you, all glory and honor, praise we offer. And let the people of God say, Amen.